0: All right, so this one is local to Ohio, where we are. Birthplace of aviation, by the way. I know it. I mean, we're not in Dayton, but you know.
1: I've been there. I've you, been there. Did the, you ever go
0: to the museum? Yes. Oh, it's an amazing museum. So I've been to lots of aviation museums. I think that was the best. So I had a friend to.
1: that lived right in Dayton and worked at wright Pat.
0: I think that's the best Shout aviation. Shout mu- Yeah, exactly. There you go. I think that's the best um, aviation museum I've ever been to. It's amazing. Is the Wright-Patterson Museum. Even the Air and Space Museum in Washington just doesn't have the displays and the, uh, I mean, the amazing stuff that you can see at wright Pat. So I recommend everybody go there. Agreed. At some point, I mean, shout out to them, right? So let's get started. Ready? You're listening to Inside the Aluminum Tube. This podcast has adult language and sometimes contains graphic descriptions of accidents and incidents, often resulting in death. If you're scared to fly, proceed with caution.
1: Sir, are your pants meowing? Yeah, are you interested? Pull up. No, the plane is about to crash. Wind shear.
0: You're looking a little anxious, Kent. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> Crease, climb. Only if you really need me to. Threw his clothes off. Had an accident. <laughs> got his tree. And went night-night. 50, 40. Oh, so like some dumb bro shit. Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool.
0: 30, 20, 10.
1: Clear of conflict.
0: Welcome back to the Aviation History Podcast. Together with my co-host, we are going to look at events in aviation history like air disasters, accidents, incidents, and mere mishaps, along with the occasional mystery conspiracy, or just regular old history. Aviation is worth remembering, and it's worth remembering accurately, so I'm here to tell you the stories. As you already know, I'm Shannon Baker. I'm the host and I'm the creator. You can learn more about me in episode zero. Go look at my Instagram and my Twitter.
1: Instagram is better anyway.
0: I agree with that. You can email me your ideas as well. At aluminumtubepodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to aluminumtubepodcast.com, which is my website. And there you can join my Patreon. And please join my Patreon. You can tip me. You can get decals. Um, you can meet my co hosts. And Robin, you're going to be on there. Yay. And you can listen to all the episodes right there in your browser or in your favorite listening platform. There's a little button you can push and it takes you right there. Perfect. So. And again, Robin, today we are recording in Ohio. We're back here with Robin Zarebniak. I got it right.
1: You got it right. Okay. A plus.
0: All right. So if you listen to episode 30, you'll know that Robin is from the Instagram, What the Crazy House. And I think everybody should go follow that Instagram. She's got a lot of followers and it is really quite hilarious. Does it
1: make you cuss on a daily basis?
0: Sometimes it makes me (laughs) uncomfortable. I look at things and I'm just like, that makes me really uncomfortable. (laughs) Recently, yeah,
1: some of it's a little wacky. Recently, I'm not going to lie. Yeah,
0: recently you had a bathroom on there that was like in a cave.
1: Yes, I just, that was, yeah.
0: And the kitchen of that same house, that's what made me uncomfortable because it looked like a set, a movie set kitchen or
1: something. It like a horror movie. It was yeah. like rusted and
0: Like even if it was nice, you wouldn't want to cook the in there. The bathroom
1: scared me though. The, the bathroom it was, was like under a rock.
0: Yes, and it,
1: and tape, the tub it tapered just down. Scary. No. It no. really
0: is something that I might... Have bad dreams about?
1: Oh, Not I th- think I titled it. This is the bathroom of my nightmares.
0: The rest of the house was kind of cool. Like there was some other cool. The ceiling stuff.
1: was awesome in the main like living area. Yes, and then there
0: was yeah. a drop ceiling in yeah, another. And which drop yeah. ceiling is just that's make so me. bad? Oh, they're just that's they so like eighties, nineties, to early two thousands. Drop ceilings are just terrible. Nobody should ever put a drop ceiling in their house. Truth. So anyway, we're back, and like I said, we are going to do one that is local. History, good old Ohio. Ohio,
1: shout yeah. out to fellow Ohioans.
0: There you go. Is a, that what you call Ohioans?
1: I've been an Ohioan my whole life.
0: I mean, I grew up in Pennsylvania. It's not so that you're close. <laughs> I was driving around here thinking this looks kind of like where I grew up. The roll, little, oh, yeah. little we're, rolling we're at my hills.
1: my house today, so I I dragged Shannon all the way into my kitchen.
0: I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it. No, it's good. We're here in the kitchen having some tea and talking about airplanes and stuff. So, okay, so the airplane, the airplane in this case is a Cessna. 207. A Cessna 207 is a single engine propeller plane that was built by Cessna between 1969 and 1984. The Cessna 207 is an eight seat version of the earlier Cessna 205 and 206. It's just stretched by 45 inches. So it's kind of like they already built the airplane. They just added some, like a row. Yeah. They added, it, it allowed more space for seats, and the nose section was extended, and they put a little baggage up there. Okay. 18 inches, and they put some bags up there. The Cessna 207 looks like this. It's kind of ugly, in my opinion.
1: It's a little ugly. It's not the worst.
0: It kind of looks like an old Jeep Wagoneer, though, in a way. You know, it's, I don't know. It looks very utilitarian.
1: Yeah, I feel you.
0: That's what they use it for. It's utilitarian. It has a 300 horsepower piston engine that drives a single propeller. Its maximum takeoff weight is just 3,600 pounds. Oh, that's little. Yeah, that's small compared to the airplanes I normally talk about. 747 can be over a million pounds, you know. And oh my gosh, here we're talking. So you could just
1: put one of those, uh, more than one of those, right? Oh yeah, right you could put plenty
0: of them in there. Although it can carry a good bit of cargo and people, and that's what it was designed for. It's ugly, but it's
1: it works. It works. It's like a station wagon.
0: Exactly. It goes about 170 miles an hour, and it can cruise. Up to like 800 miles Wow, on that's one tank decent. of fuel. Yeah. I mean, you could put a family of eight in there and go from like here to, let's say, Cape Cod or something. Perfect. Five or 600 miles from here. I mean, that that's kind of what it was designed for. That kind of short hop, maybe four hours, get you there and all your stuff. Okay, so it was popular with air taxi and freight companies, as you can imagine, P- particularly on short runways where... Its full seating capacity could be used even on a short runway. So you could put pack it with things and people on and take off of a short runway with a full load.
1: Only eight seats? Yep. Including captain?
0: Uh yes. So it has two up front and six in the back. Okay, got it. Very few of these airplanes saw private use because they're not very luxurious. Sure. They really are like you said, this station wagon. If you were gonna buy a private airplane, it would you'd want it to transport just your family and like more luxuriously, sure. This is really just kind of like you throw people in bags in there and take them from point A to <laughs> just, point B. Yeah, I mean, there you go. That's what I mean. It's like it's the old station wagon, you know. You said conversion van when you were growing up. Yes, there you go. That's, I was
1: gonna say, we had conversion vans growing up, so I'm getting memories. Yeah, what well, this one, this one didn't stuffed, have any TVs shoved in under it. that fold down seat in the back.
0: <laughs> this one didn't have TVs in it. You couldn't play Atari or whatever it was. What was it? Uh.
1: Oh, it was like Nintendo. Yeah, it was like yeah. the first original one. The Nintendo Mario. the NES, yep. Yep. That's, That's all.
0: the good old days. <laughs> okay. It's called the sky wagon.
1: Station wagon. Exactly. I nailed it.
0: Yep. <laughs> because it's pretty much a bus for short flights.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, it's not glamorous, it's not pretty, but when you have a lot of stuff to carry, a lot of people, Does a lot a of stuff, it gets the job done. It's operated by many governments around the world as airborne observation. Platforms.
1: I could see that. It has a lot of windows.
0: Yep. And they use it for border protection a lot. They use it for aerial drug searches because it's cheap to operate. Conversely, drug smugglers like to use it because it has good range and superior load capability and it's cheap to operate. There you go. So you have governments looking for drugs in an airplane that the drugs are being transported in the same type of airplane. So... You know,
1: <laughs> it's like when you buy a car and then you see that car on the road all the time. Exactly. When you're flying in that plane and then there's just a ton of them around you. Right.
0: Exactly. So there, anyway, there are two sides to every coin. It's a good airplane. A private pilot could fly it without any issue. It's safe. It's stable. It's very reliable. It can carry, like I said, a lot of weight. It can go a long way.
1: This is reminding me of this recent news story where the, was that a Cessna where the like pilot blacked out and the passenger landed it?
0: That was a Cessna. That is actually the sort of the Cessna that replaced this one. Okay. That one is called a 208. Okay. Right. So we're talking about a 207 here. That one is called the 208. So, so it is. Even the,
1: if you don't have any kind of training, you could fly a Cessna apparently.
0: I wouldn't recommend it.
1: I mean, I wouldn't either. But
0: but you could in a pinch. And even if you kind of landed hard or something, it would be okay. You, you know, you probably wouldn't break it. They're pretty durable. Awesome. So back in 1901, a guy named Milton Red Herzberger was born. He became a Chicago barnstormer. So now I'm describing the company. Okay. okay. He became a Chicago Barnstormer, and he founded the first airline serving the Erie Isles from Port Clinton, which is a little northwest of Sandusky. Yep. And he did that in 1930, beginning with just two biplanes. He called his company Erie Isle Airways, and it served Bass Island, Rattlesnake Island, Pelly Island, Put-in-Bay, Kelly's Island, all out in Lake Erie, all places in Ohio.
1: hmm I've been to Put-in-Bay.
0: Okay. He bought a Ford Trimotor. After it had crashed in the mountains near Pittsburgh, he fixed it up, and he started flying that. It was so useful that he bought four more. Well, all right. His company's growing. After World War II, Herstberger was able to buy several hundred surplus engines from the U.S. government as spares for just $15 each. So in wow. today's money, we're talking just a couple hundred dollars.
1: Sure, but still a deal.
0: I mean, you're buying engines for a couple hundred dollars. Sure. Because the government just had them laying around and they were like, these are literally either scrap or we can sell them to somebody. Sure. So anyway. I always use a backup. Yeah. So the company expanded. It changed its name to Island Airways. The original Island Airways was split up and sold in 1953, again in 1973, and then again in the 1990s. They served the Erie Isles and they also served Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket. So they kind of had a double thing going. But like I said, they got split up. It changed names. They operated a few other companies. It's hard to say the exact lineage of the outside of Ohio kind of portion of it. That's fair. But Griffing Flying Service bought them at some point and still operates the routes of the original Erie Isles Airways. Oh, that's cool. Now called Island Airlines. And they still do charter to the Erie Islands. They also do helicopter rides and plane rides all from Port Clinton. Yep. So it's kind of cool. It's a cool area up there. I think he got it right. He did. He knew what needed served and he did it. Yeah. And even though other parts of the company got sold, those were always profitable. That's what happened. All right. Are you ready for the date? Ready. Here's something a little personal to you maybe. December 9th, 1983.
1: (gasps) I was like a couple months old. (laughs) There you go. I was born in October.
0: (laughs) Anyway, around 9 p.m., On the night of December 9th, the emergency switchboard, this is pre 911. Okay. Right? So, yeah, especially for rural areas. I remember growing up and there was a special phone number you had to call for the emergency switchboard. It wasn't 911. The emergency switchboard received a call from the home of the Ottawa County Sheriff. His name was Nobert McKilpins. That's a big name. It is. Nobert McKilpins. People, people just don't have names like that anymore. I know. I, I don't think it's a bad thing.
1: Ah. Uh, <laughs> I don't like all these crazy... Yeah, we do spellings have ...spellings where people shake Scrabble bags and, like, come up with names. It's weird.
0: Nobert McKilpins, he lived out on Kelly's Island. He was being attended by a doctor because he was having a heart attack. Oh, no. And he needed to be taken to the hospital, and the closest one is in Port Clinton. The county sheriff's office was called to dispatch a life flight helicopter. However, the helicopter did not have autopilot. It was not rated to fly in the clouds. It was a terrible cloudy night, and they were unable to make it there due to bad weather. Oh, gosh. Now, you've lived in Ohio, at least sort of near the lake, not really, but for a long time. When was the last time you found a nice sunny day in (laughs) mid-December?
1: ah uh, it
0: happens occasionally
1: december is the time of gray <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly we have so two seasons november, here.
1: november <laughs> december january february is the gray time of year yeah
0: we have two seasons here it's, uh, it's sunny and gray
1: yep right. it's sunny today but yeah. i
0: lived in indiana for a little while too okay so you're still of, in yeah, you're still in that gray area yeah, yeah? exactly mm-hmm. and the
1: far wet- between to answer your question
0: Yes, exactly. And the weather on this night was no exception. And it is what you may expect from a December night over Lake Erie. The temperature was 32 degrees Fahrenheit Mm. and the dew point was 31. Okay, and that's zero degrees centigrade and minus one centigrade. And let me explain how that affects the weather. When the temperature dew point spread is very narrow, like the temperature is 32 and the dew point is 31, fog forms. Yep, Because fog forms at the dew point. The air is smooth, typically no turbulence. Very smooth air. However, it's also terrible for visibility, as sure you can imagine.
1: And it's thick over there, too.
0: Yes. And visibility varied on this night from one, between one and two miles. It was also what we call a dark night with skies of 1,500 feet overcast. No moon because it's overcast. Sure. And, well, there's no lights over the lake. Fair. Right? So once you turn out over the lake.
1: You're just in the You're darkness. basically in just blackness. Yeah.
0: That's it. So that's kind of what we're talking about and when you add that you only have one mile of visibility and blackness it literally would be like pasting black over your windshield once you turned away and there were no lights to look at on the ground so you really need to have an instrument aircraft and that's why the helicopter said no we're not going to do that because it was dangerous that all sort of indicated why the life flight helo from port clinton couldn't make the 15 minute flight to kelly's island and it is really close
1: Yeah, they're not far at all.
0: However, there was a team ready and willing to rescue Sheriff McKilpins. But they needed to reach Kelly's Island. So they have medics and they have a team ready, but they can't get there. They were in direct communication via mobile radios with the sheriff's office. And the police looked for a way to get to Kelly's Island, which would take almost two hours by by boat. boat. Yep. But it was just seven minutes by plane. Well, there was a Cessna 207 from Port Clinton. Available, which was great because a medic, two deputies, were also there in Port Clinton. And that airplane had plenty of room to evacuate a passenger. Perfect. Or a, you know, a patient. Yeah, sure. So kind of a match made in heaven, right? Well, the pilot on call was a 37-year-old guy. He had about 800 total flying hours. That's not very much. About 50 hours in the Cessna 207. Again, not very much. He held a commercial single-engine license, which means that he could be paid to fly the Cessna 207 but he did not have an instrument rating. That means he legally couldn't fly in clouds. Okay. So he couldn't fly by reference to the instruments, but he could be paid to fly on sunny days. This happens around the Grand Canyon and stuff. People have a commercial license, which means they can be paid to fly passengers. But if they don't have an instrument, they can't be paid to fly them in bad weather. But like I said, if, if you're flying around Grand Canyon, sure, it's pretty much clear all the time, right? Ohio.
1: Not so much. <laughs> right.
0: Well, Bob Rigani. A police training officer led the team and medic, Bruce Mettler. He was an experienced EMT. They were put in contact with Island Airlines and ultimately the pilot of the Cessna 207. The barely experienced pilot decided to take the mission, feeling pressure to rescue the sheriff, the county sheriff. A little bit pressure from the company. Sure. You know pilots have a tendency to want to get the mission done. Some pilots want to feel like they're a hero. And I think, you know, there's a camaraderie in that. So he took the flight. Okay. He didn't get a weather brief. He didn't file a flight plan. The four men climbed into the Cessna 207 and took off for the 10-minute flight into instrument conditions
1: what could happen in 10 minutes
0: for which the pilot was not rated to fly i don't know <laughs> it's almost like you listened to this podcast before once or twice shortly after takeoff valerie metler which is bruce metler's wife he's the emt valerie was able to contact bruce via basically a walkie-talkie sure and he was told that and she was told by bruce that they basically had zero visibility and they were quote really in it Ooh. meaning in the clouds and weather as you can imagine, right? So the doctor had transported the the ailing sheriff to the airport in Kelly's Island. So he's not at the house anymore. They're waiting at the airport. And they're going to meet the Cessna 207 and the EMT.
1: Pick him up, take him.
0: Absolutely. So they're going to quick turn him out of there and get him over to the hospital. And they were also in contact with Valerie, like I said, who was in contact with Bruce prior to takeoff and with the sheriff's office. So because we have... All police here. We have some levels of communication that we normally don't see. Sure, you know, uh, among normal passengers, like normal passengers aren't going to have walkie talkies, radios, radios, and, and, radios and yeah. yeah, exactly, and be able to call the police and call the dude's uh, wife and like. Sure, but they're in constant contact because they're trying to rescue the sheriff. Okay, sure. after ten minutes the airplane did not arrive. Oh no! They called Valerie, who attempted to contact Bruce to see where the plane was. However, there was nothing, just radio silence. They initiated a search by boat within just an hour, but they found nothing. Days passed, and they had no sign of the airplane. They continued to search, and after five days of searching in water, averaging just 25 feet deep, the wreckage of the Cessna was found just east of Catawba in Lake Erie. The wreck was located was located on what would have been a straight-line path between the two airports. Oh, no! The only damage to the aircraft was a broken motor mount and a damaged right outer wing. So It's not very hurt. That
1: doesn't sound that bad.
0: No. There were no mechanicals wi- mechanical issues with the aircraft, and the flight controls were all set in what would have been considered a cruise setting.
1: Okay, so they did a good job. No funny business.
0: Right. However, none of the four occupants were found in the wreckage. Their bodies were located on the lake bed a few hundred feet from where the plane sank. Their seatbelts had been unbuckled, and that is very telling.
1: So they ditched.
0: The most likely explanation. So let's look at that. The most likely explanation, and the one the NTSB settled on, was that the non instrument rated pilot, after failing to check the weather and not filing a flight plan, took off into this dark night, descended lower and lower to stay out of the clouds and to maintain visual contact with the peninsula. Okay. Catawba. However, once the lights had then disappeared behind him, he was over the open lake. Right. And
1: can't see nothing. He
0: lost spatial orientation. Sure. Right. He descended slowly with no reference to the horizon or the water below. He flew the airplane in a very controlled way right into the lake. Yeah, I know you're just sitting there like shaking your head. And
1: it's not even that deep. Nope. So you're like right in the water, right to the ground.
0: The problem was it's cold. So cold. It's December. All occupants had been wearing their seatbelts, and they had all released their seatbelts and gotten out before the airplane sank. However, in that frigid December night, They didn't stand a chance against hypothermia, attempting to swim but succumbing, and the bodies of the four men were discovered with no blunt force trauma and no other injuries.
1: So they crashed, they got out safely, but if the plane instruments were kind of wonky and you're in darkness, then you're swimming in darkness. They don't
0: know where to go. Right,
1: and you're not going to find land.
0: They kind of stayed together. Two of them were found together, two of them were found separately, so they kind of stayed together. But they all succumbed to hypothermia. It's interesting because nobody had any blunt force trauma. They just flew into the water kind of nice and slowly.
1: I was going to say, it sounds like just an even keel kind of landing.
0: So in um, the pilot world, he failed to scan properly. Okay. It seems as though he kept the wings level. And he had descended lower and lower to keep the peninsula in sight. And then as he kind of lost sight of the peninsula, he probably entered a very slow descent. So the airplane was was found just a couple miles from Catawba. So it wasn't. So it was really low going over Catawba. Sure. And then it just kind of slowly kinda descended right in. And it's only a seven mile. or yeah, it's ten, not very ten miles or something between there and
1: Kelly's Island. Kelly's
0: Island. Yeah. So that's the whole accident. That's the whole Ohio part of the of the thing. It's sad.
1: It is because they tried so hard to they rescue did. him.
0: It's interesting because you have to kind of acknowledge that it was completely unnecessary. Those guys did not have to go out there right then. Had the sheriff been transported by boat, he did not die of the heart attack.
1: I was going to say, what happened to the sheriff? I need to know.
0: He died of heart failure on January 5th, 1984, less than a month after his failed and fatal rescue attempt. He was going to die eventually. He needed a new heart is basically what he needed. But- the other people didn't have to die and it's because the pilot went oh, i can do that for whatever reason we can't really know the motivations
1: there's an episode somewhere where one of your other co-hosts says dumb bro shit yeah and i feel like we're back at dumb bro shit part two
0: probably <laughs> I, yes, I agree. I think it probably was kind of like dumb bro shit. Hey, let's go rescue this guy.
1: Yeah, we got this. It's fine. We can't see anything, but no worries.
0: No worries. And he, and the pilot was probably like, oh, I got this. No big deal. I know just where it is. You know, I, I've done this flight a million times during the day and he probably even talked himself into it. Sure. And you have to have some level of instrument training. There's a certain amount of required even to be a commercial pilot or a private pilot. So even if you're just going to be a private pilot, you have to have some level of instrument knowledge sure. They cover up the outside and you have to navigate just by instruments. That has to happen, but it's a very minimal amount. That's just in case you fly into a cloud. You don't immediately sure. like panic lose attack. it. Yeah. yeah. You don't panic. You right. go, okay. It's enough to allow you to turn out and go back kind of the way you came. Sure. So the pilot in this case just overestimated his ability and the coldness of that water.
1: Oh, In December, it's got to be absolutely frigid
0: so people have about estimates vary it depends on how you move and how you hold your body and what you do but the longest that you could live in 32 degree lake water is about 15 minutes
1: oh i was thinking it was longer than that but
0: if you if they had huddled together all four of them they may they may have lived a few hours but still but yeah, the way in they the were, middle
1: of the night in the darkness, it, you're not going to search and rescue them anyway. Yeah, I they mean, it's going to be hard.
0: It's going to be hard to find them. Sure. It would have been really it would have been really crazy and lucky if they had been able to find four floating heads, essentially, you know, sure. in that in that type of weather, because it was a terrible night. So in 2014, Port Clinton Police Chief Robert Hickman said, quote, it's been a lot of years. I miss him. Him being Bruce Mettler. I think it's important we don't forget these things, and I'm afraid that it is. Well, I have a message for Robert we're not forgetting.
1: I was going to say, we got you, Bob.
0: Here it is. Yep. We're, we got we got Bob Hickman's back here. So there are a lot of good lessons here. First, let's be honest. You know, pilots have a certain personality type. We want to be pilots for a reason, Sure. Right. Maybe there's some control issues. Maybe we think it's glamorous. Maybe it's what we've always wanted to do for whatever reason. And it is kind of glamorous It's or it's been glamorized. It kind of does contribute to like pilot ego. And when you add ego to a bad situation.
1: It's not always the best.
0: Then you have a overconfidence of like. I got this. Potentially your abilities. Sure. For all we know, maybe this guy was an excellent pilot, but pilots have to be trained. He made a bad decision, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's. A terrible guy well if, and
1: the plane like you said if it was decently intact yeah then he clearly was a good pilot yeah. if it just happened to sort of slide into the water
0: right it wasn't a jfk junior situation where it spirals in right, right? Right, right he's not completely out of control he just loses one level of situational awareness and by the time he touches that water it's over right so the airplane's going to lurch forward right release their seat belts and got out you know, there's levels of like, why do you want to be a pilot? What's the job about? And attitude. That's kind of what we're talking about. Some ego. And in this case, let's not forget the altruism. So these guys really wanted to rescue. Sure. They wanted to rescue their friend. Right. No doubt that Sheriff was their friend.
1: Oh, sure. That Yeah.
0: I mean, you've got... You're two- in a
1: small town.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You've got two cops. Right. One EMT. You know how medics or EMTs and cops talk to each other. we oh, yeah. You know, so that's a constant like work relationship. And then you have another guy who's also local. I mean, there's some levels of altruism there. Let's sure. go rescue him. Right. It can be kind of difficult in that situation to say no.
1: That's fair. You want to do what you can to help your friend out.
0: You really do. You know, that'll
1: definitely add a I got this to it.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. So they wanted to go rescue Nobert. I hope his nickname was Bert. That'd be good. Anyway, <laughs> Nobert. Did you learn anything? That's the story. It's short.
1: Yes. Don't do dumb bro shit part two. Yes. Although I get it. I I understand where they're at, where they're rescuing their friend. And they've got to do what they've got to do. And they want to try. But it's just like the helicopter wouldn't take off and you should have taken notes.
0: Yes, exactly. The helicopter went, man, I can't go fly. Yeah, pass. Because the helicopter pilot was probably a really experienced pilot and went, Nah. You know, during that era, a lot of the pilots, especially flying for the police, were Vietnamese. Or they... Not <laughs> the Vietnamese. They were Vietnam vets. Sure. And they... They had, knew better. They had experience with this kind of stuff. Sure. You know, they knew what the air, what the airplane could do or what their helicopter could do. And they didn't have any preconceived notions that...
1: But they also know that area. And they assumingly know that weather, that blackness, that darkness, that yeah. cold right
0: foggy cold winter night i mean i'm also going to say that these are these conditions are perfect for ice sure So these conditions are wonderful for forming ice not only on the airframe of an airplane, but in this case, in the carburetor of an airplane.
1: Okay, dumb question. Yeah. Is there a significant difference between a helicopter flying and a plane flying in an icy condition like that?
0: The answer to that is no. Okay. There's not a significant difference because the helicopter blade acts as a wing. Okay. So it's essentially like having a wing up top. The helicopter may be a little... Uh, better off because it's constantly slinging the ice okay so it would sling ice maybe a little more effectively than an airplane in the case that neither of those things have de-ice equipment which neither of them did sure they should not be flying in that weather regardless because that's that is prime prime weather for ice sure it's also prime weather to crash if you are not an instrument rated pilot and we just have to be honest my sources for this one i wrote this one pretty quickly actually there aren't that many sources good deal there was some information on Wikipedia. I used National Oceanic Atmospheric Association's depth charts to look along the path and sure, see, see how, how deep the water see was. See how deep the water was, and it never got deeper than about twenty-seven feet.
1: Yeah, it's not too bad over there.
0: No, it's really not. I used planecrashmap.org. Okay. And I used the official final report issued by the NTSB, which is what is my normal source. Sometimes when it when it's foreign sources, it becomes a little yeah, a little tricky. But, but my main source was from the Port Clinton New Herald, and it it's was the little newspaper over there. The little newspaper that in 1983 published the article and continued to update us on the condition, and that's where I got the 2014 quote from Police Chief Robert Hickman. Like you said, Bob. Yep. Yeah. So he says, I think it's important we don't forget these things, and I'm afraid that it is. And like I said, we got you back. Or like got you, you said, got you got you back, Bob. So to all the private pilots out there, beginner pilots, not instrument rated pilots.
1: Don't do it.
0: Listen. You know, and the scary thing about this, Robin, is it happens all too often. We cover this and it's one of a million. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of events. And I I, I mean, dare I say, in the tens, every year. Oh my gosh. Of the same sort of event
1: of just people not paying attention and not having awareness and not having
0: flying into conditions that they shouldn't be flying if you feel like you shouldn't be flying don't fly and i mean that's actually what happened in the case of jfk jr as well his flight instructor said i wouldn't fly tonight sure there were other pilots at the airport that literally had said no no i'm not going to go anywhere he said hey are you guys going anywhere and they were like no we're not going anywhere too weather's too bad Right, But he said, no, I'm going to go anyway. I got this. To your point, some dumb bro shit. Thank you to (laughs) Court Olivia. (laughs) Thanks, Olivia. (laughs) Anyway, that's the story. I appreciate you hosting me. Of course. And us being here. um,
1: Come back anytime.
0: I will. I'll bring you something. More stickers. Oh, I have stickers for you.
1: More stickers to pass out and put on my car.
0: I have stickers for you. I'll just
1: paste them all over the back so I can really see it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Robin. (laughs)
1: Of course.